Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our worship and executive pastor, Jeff Carrico. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Uh, I've been in music. Music has been my life for a really long time, for about 23 years. And over the past few years, I've uh, picked up teaching drum lessons and guitar lessons to students. And it's, it's always so fun when a new student comes in who is young and they've never really played an instrument before. And these guys come in, they're wanting to learn how to play the guitar. And they walk into that first lesson, like believing that it's, it's right after that lesson. They're like the next Jimmy Page, like BB King. They think they're gonna walk in, walk in as little Timmy and walk out as Eric Clapton. But that is not the case at all. Um, in fact, the way I teach, they don't even play really for a few lessons because I'm teaching them about the guitar. And then we start getting into music theory. And I remember this one time, where are my band nerds at? You, you were in band? All right, that guy for sure. Um, but if you remember, you remember sight reading, sheet music, learning how to do that? So I teach them how to do that. And I remember this one time there was one of my students who he sits down, I put the sheet music in front of him and this super like look of concern comes over his face. And I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, am I gonna have to learn fractions? And I was like, what? And he's like, what is that? And I was like, no, 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 no. That's called a time signature. That's a time signature. And for those of you who don't know what a time signature is, time signature is super important. So I'm gonna nerd out. And I'm, su- I'm sure you're super jazzed that today you're gonna learn about time signatures. Um, so time signatures, they look like a fraction, right? But what it does is there's a top number and it tells you how many beats are in a measure, okay? And then there's a bottom number that tells you what type of note gets the count, okay? So an example of this would be 4-4 time, okay? So 4-4 time, it's four over four. The four represents four beats in a measure, one, two, three, four. And then four represents the one over four that represents the quarter note, okay? Now I can explain this to you all day long, but I think it might help if, uh, David, can we give them a 4-4 metronome so they can hear what it sounds like? Uh, Yeah, this is what's going on in our ears up here, by the way. Yeah, so that's happening. So this is a 4-4 metronome. Today, we're gonna have music class, okay? Y'all with me? Can we have music class real quick? All right, I'm gonna step down here. Okay, we're gonna have music class today. Now, I'm gonna teach you how to count and clap on beat for 4-4, okay? Now, for some of you, this is the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life. And it's because you don't have rhythm. But it's okay, Jesus loves you. We hate it when you clap, but Jesus loves you. (laughs) All right, so you guys ready? Okay, that was not, you ready? All right, let's listen. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, yeah, there you go. You know what, David, can we show them what a song in 4-4 would sound like? What would that sound like? Oh yeah, little funky town going on. All right, all right, all right, stop, 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 stop. You kill it, you kill it. Great job, guys. Give yourself a round of applause. You successfully clapped. All right, let's do another one, let's do another one. Um, let's do six, eight. All right, so six, eight, that's six, six beats in a measure, and it's on the eighth notes, okay? All right, 
So uh, let's, let's do a metronome for six, eight. Wow. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, come on, let's clap. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four. Hey, can we give them a song that would be in six, eight? One, two, three, four. Oh, yeah. Great job. Hopefully I'll be singing that after a Cowboys game, but who knows? All right, let's try one more and then we'll be done, okay? One more, one more. Let's do something, let's do something that's different uh, that you don't hear much. Let's do cut time. Cut time, it's two, it's two, two time. So two beats a measure and the half note gets the count. Now, this is one that you don't hear much. It's in like old, older hymns or folk music or rockabilly. But let's hear what that, that metronome sounds like. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Yeah, there you go. Hey, can we hear what a song might sound like in two, two, cut time? Oh, yeah. I hear the train coming, coming around the bend. Little Johnny Cash for you. You guys can kill it. Hey, can we give our worship team a round of applause? Yeah, thank you guys so much for helping me out. Hey, you successfully made it through music class. Give yourself a hand. Also, that will be $30 each. I do take Venmo. I'll be out there for cash and checks. Someone look at your neighbor and say, what is happening? But time signatures, they're really important for music. That's why they're right at the beginning of the music because time signatures, they dictate the rhythm of the song. And what's interesting is that when we listen to music, when we perceive music, we like define music as what we hear. The beats hitting at a certain time, the notes that are being played together at a certain time, everything we hear. But I like how the classical French composer, Claude Debussy, he puts it like this. He said, music, it's not in the notes. It's not in the beat. But music is in the space between the notes. It's in the space between the notes. You see, it's the silence, the stillness, the rest in the noise that creates rhythm. And without rest between notes... It would just be this piercing, droning noise because without rest, there is no rhythm. There's no pattern, no cadence, no flow, no direction. And you know what I find is interesting is that God created our lives with a rhythm. There is a rhythm to your life. In fact, we see it in the account, the creation account in Genesis. We see this, that on the first day, God created light and he said that it was good, right? And on the second day, he created the sky and he said that it was good. And on the third day, he created the land, the sea, the plants, the trees, and he said that it was good. And on the fourth day, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he said that it was And then on the fifth day, God created the, the living creatures in the sea and in the sky. And then he said that it was, 
And then on the sixth day, he created animals and he created man and his image. And he looked at everything and he said it was, you guys are really good at this. But then on the seventh day, what does it say? It says that on the seventh day, God finished his work. And in Genesis 2, it tells us this. It says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. And holy here means set apart. It's like to take something, set it aside, to consecrate it. So he blessed the seventh day and he called it holy. Why? For it was the day that he rested. It was the day that he rested. You see, from the beginning of time, rest was woven into God's design to establish the rhythms of his creation, to establish the rhythms of your life. And notice that creation was not complete until God, what, rested. It wasn't complete until he rested and then established it as holy. Just a few minutes ago, what did we establish? We established the idea that without rest, there can be no rhythm. We'll try that again for those in the back. That without rest, there can be no rhythm. I think many of us here today, our lives seem out of sync our lives seem out of rhythm and it makes us so hard to see purpose and direction in life. And we wonder why our relationships are damaged, why our marriages are struggling, why we feel depressed, anxious, in a constant state of stress. And like at any given moment, we are going to break. And it's because you were designed to rest. You were designed to rest. And if you refuse to rest, if you refuse to take a break, you will break. Are you hearing me this morning? You will break. And you know, it's funny because in our culture, rest and talking about breaks is kind of looked down upon. We straight up will judge a person's character by their work ethic. Their very innermost being, we judge them by that. It's especially true in the Western culture since the industrialization. And it's super true in the United States and incredibly true in the South. I mean, just look at our truck commercials. Think about it. You have the guy who's got a voice that's down here. He's got this Southern accent. It's marketed to Texas men. And he's like, this truck here ain't for sissies. This truck here is for the man that likes to work 80 hours a day. And for the man that likes to haul boulders. <laughs> what is the deal that they're always dropping a boulder in the back of these trucks? Like, who is hauling that? What are you, Fred Flintstone in the quarry about to build a rock house? Like... Who does that? But that's our culture. And we celebrate it. And it's actually been recently coined hustle culture. Hustle culture. And it's funny because if you go on Pinterest or Etsy right now, don't do it right now, and search hustle, 
you're going to find all sorts of t-shirts, mugs, posters, the weird little postcard thing that you stick in a piece of wood that like makes it stand up in your house on the counter. I don't know what the purpose of it is. Some of you ladies might know what I'm talking about, but it'll say like, my favorite one is like, stay humble, hustle hard. Or it'll say like, rise and grind. And it'll say like, hustle lady, hustle. I don't know why, but it seems like a lot of them are marketed at women. Eat, pray, hustle, repeat. <laughs> Guys, we literally are buying the t-shirt. Now don't get me wrong, we were created to work. When God created Adam, what did he do? He put him in charge of all creation. But then he says this, that he's to be over all creation and he is to subdue it, to rule over it, to control it. So we are created to work, but we're also created to rest. And when we forget to rest, what happens is instead of us subduing the work, the work subdues us. And we begin to confuse hard work with workaholism. Studies have shown that people that are workaholics, they have a distinct neurological and psychiatric profile that is similar to people addicted to narcotics. And yet here in the United States, we celebrate that workaholism. It's a good thing. But scientists are increasingly finding that workaholics on average, they're not as productive as employees who can properly manage their home life and their work life. But the thing is, is that it is an addiction. It really is. Because when you are in a constant state of work, when you are in a constant state of going, your body is in a constant state of stress and it begins to release a chemical called cortisol. Do you know what cortisol is? It's released from the adrenal gland. Your body thinks it is in a fight or flight situation. So it's constantly releasing cortisol. And the thing is, is that to level out cortisol levels, you have to rest. But when we don't allow ourselves to rest, we have prolonged periods of cortisol in our body and we will inevitably burn out. And when you do burn out, it's like having a withdrawal. High levels of cortisol, they're related to anxiety, depression, heart disease, strokes, memory impairment, high blood pressure, blood sugar imbalances, such as hypoglycemia, lowered immunity response, you can't heal as fast, lower sex drive, and more. The other day I posted an article that showed the scary statistics of the rise in hustle culture the modern rise in hustle culture and the rise in mental illness. And I made sure to look back before COVID to get some numbers because COVID kind of skewed everything. But over the course of a year, there were 1.5 million more people in one year than the year prior that sought help for mental illness. 1.5 million people. And in that same year, over the course of a year, half a million people more than the year before went to get help with serious thoughts of suicide. And this is just the people that went for help. 
It's not counting the people that didn't or the people that went through with it. We are literally killing ourselves because we refuse to rest. It's funny because in the Old Testament, the fourth commandment, is that we are to keep the Sabbath. We're supposed to rest and we're supposed to do it and keep it holy in doing so. Isn't it funny that if I were to tell you to commit adultery, you'd be like, ah, I'm not gonna do that. But if I told you, hey, is tomorrow your your rest day? And you're like, yeah. I was like, hey, can you come help me work? You'd be like, sure, let's do that. Isn't that funny? How the fourth commandment is the one that we're willing to break constantly. And remember, this is moral law. God even says that he's established a Sabbath that'll be a covenant amongst his people forever. And we break that all the time. I'll get off of that one. I told you guys this was gonna be challenging. The saddest thing is, is that when we refuse to rest, we are in direct defiance of God's design. We're saying, God, I know better than you. But there is hope. There is hope for us. Because God established rest in us, in you, in me, in creation. And he is calling us to a place of rest so that we can learn more about who we are and who he is. And just real quick, I just wanna take the next few moments and I wanna look at three areas, three things that we can learn from rest. Three things that we can learn from rest. Now, the first place in the Bible that we see rest or we see the word Sabbath mentioned, it's in Exodus 16. And just to give you some context here, the children of Israel, they've left Egypt. They're in the wilderness, okay? And they're hungry. They're hungry. And they're like Moses. It says this in in verse three. It says, if he... If we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but instead you brought us here to the wilderness to make this whole assembly of people die of hunger. Now, some of you are judging them, but we've all been this hangry before. I mean, if we're honest, we've been like this. God, I need food right now. I'm gonna kill everyone in this car that can't make a decision on what we're about to eat. (laughs) Right? And you're like eating all of the gum you have and putting all the Tic Tacs you possibly can find in your mouth. So don't judge. You've been this person. So what does God do? God speaks to Moses and he's like, look, I'm gonna make it rain bread from heaven. Some of you that love coffee, you're like, God, let it rain bread from heaven on me. (laughs) Make it rain bread. He says, I'm gonna make it rain bread from heaven in the mornings and they're to gather as much as they can eat. And then at night, I'm gonna send quail and they're basically just gonna fall out of the sky and you can eat the quail at night and you're to gather all you need, but don't keep leftovers because if you do, it's gonna spoil, it's gonna stink and there'll be like maggots and gross stuff in it the next day because I'm gonna provide for you for six days. And he says, and this will be the test. On the sixth day, they can gather double because the seventh day, I'm not gonna do anything because the seventh day is gonna be a day of rest. And so we pick it up in verse 27, and we see that the people, they have gathered the food, 
They've gone out there on the sixth day. They were supposed to carry, uh, get enough on the sixth day to hold them over. And Moses tells them, hey, boil it, you know, and keep it. It's gonna be great. You eat it tomorrow. But then it says this, on the seventh day, they're supposed to stay inside, not do anything. It says, yet on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but there was nothing there. They didn't find anything. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Underline that, highlight it. He has given you the Sabbath. What does Sabbath mean? It means to rest. It means to cease, to stop. He is saying that I have given you as a gift, the ability, then the time to stop to rest. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread. Underline that again. He is given as a gift two days worth of bread because on the seventh day, there will be nothing. And no one is to leave their place. There's a stay there on the seventh day. So the people of God rested on the seventh day. So what is this teaching us about rest? It's teaching us that there is reliance in rest. We look back at those two statements that we underlined. God did what? He gave them rest as a gift. Rest is a gift. And then the second thing and what I want us to lock into is that he provided enough so that in the day when there was nothing, they would have something. Did you catch that? He provided enough so that when there was nothing, they would have something. Rest is a test of our reliance in God. It is a test of our faith in him to provide. Think about when are you the most vulnerable throughout every day? When you're asleep in your bed. When you are resting in your bed at night, that's when you're the most vulnerable. And I want you to understand that God is saying, I want you to be in a place where you are so vulnerable that you are vulnerable enough that I am literally the only one who can provide for you. And so I am asking you to rest. But what happens? We refuse to rest a lot of the times. And it comes from this place of reliance on ourselves. This mindset that I will be the one who provides. And our mentality is if I don't do it, that no one will, right? And we put our faith in us and our reliance in us. And therefore we step outside of the promised gift of rest. And we are forced to continue in our own strength to provide for ourselves. That's why so many of us are struggling. God says rest and we still go out in the wilderness looking. He says rest and we still go looking. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 6. You see, Jesus is speaking to people who knew the Torah. It was their life. They would understand everything that he was saying and get the pictures that he is conveying in this 
statement he makes. In verse Matthew 6, 31 through 33, it says this. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? And you have to think the people are thinking, what will we eat? You know what, that sounds like what happened in Exodus when the children of Israel were like, Moses, what are we gonna eat? And then God miraculously provided manna from heaven and quail to just fall out in front of them so they could eat. And then it says, what will we drink? And then they're probably thinking, you know what? That sounds like when the children of Israel, they didn't have anything to drink. And they're like, what are we going to drink? And then God provided water from a rock to let them drink from it. And then they hear, what will we wear? And they're going to be thinking, you know what? That sounds like in Deuteronomy. And that sounds like in Nehemiah, when it says that God led them through the wilderness for 40, day, uh, for 40 years and their clothes never wore out and their shoes never wore out. And Jesus says that God who provides, the Gentiles that don't know the God of the promise, that don't know the God who provides, they are the ones that are seeking these things. They are constantly striving for them. But you, knowing the history of your God who provides, your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. He knows that you need them. And then it says this, so seek the kingdom first and his righteousness and all things will be provided for you. And what, you can clap. We learned how to clap just a few minutes ago. <laughs> what he is saying here is that you know that your God has provided for before and he'll do it again. And that's the God we serve. That we can have faith and reliance in him knowing that when a day might come that there is nothing, if I rest in him, he's gonna provide. The second thing that we learn from rest is the character and nature of God. There is revelation and rest. The busyness of life and striving, you got to understand that they are always going to be at war with the revelation of who God is. And they're at war with your ability to step into a place of relationship, of presence with him. In Psalm 46, 10, it says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. What's so amazing about this, this verse here is that the words that are used for be still, they mean to stop fighting, almost like to stop and drop your weapons. He's telling him, stop, drop your weapons and know that I am God. It's in the stillness that we have a revelation of who God is, that we can declare that you are God. You are the God above everything. I have humbled myself to a place before you so that I can know you more. And it's from that place of rest that place of stillness where we drop our weapons, we stop fighting the war of the world around us. And we say, God, I give you this time because I wanna be still and know who you are. We become more aware of God 
from that place of rest. Not just like taking a nap during a Rangers game because they're terrible kind of rest. But it's a a refreshing, a, a restorative rest for our souls. One that can only be found when we have removed the distractions in our life that are often disguised as rest. Like how many times do we have a very busy day at work and we go home and then we sit in front of the TV or sit on our phones for hours? How many times do we do that? Look, I'm talking about myself just as much as you guys, okay? Like we are increasingly addicted to our phones. And, and if you go and escape to the bathroom and your legs fall asleep on the toilet because you've been scrolling on the gram too long, you have a problem. When you wake up in the morning and check your phone and you go to sleep at night and the last thing you do is check your phone, we have a problem. And while these things in and of themselves are not bad, they aren't restorative rest. And more often than not, they are distractions to help us escape from our present life instead of being present in our life in God's presence. Entering into the presence of God is a call to intimacy. And it's found in rest. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear, or some translations say, know my voice. And I know them and they follow me. It's this picture of intimacy. This picture of being so comfortable with someone that you know their voice. That you know who they are. And it gives this imagery of Psalm 23 where David says, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He provides for me. And he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Before we can have a refreshed soul, we have to rest in green pastures beside still waters in intimacy with the Lord. It's in that place of intimacy before the Lord that we find who he is and who we are in his rest. In closing this morning, I wanna share a, a third thing that we learn from a place of rest. And the third thing that we learn from a place of rest is that there is redemption in rest. There is redemption in rest. From the beginning of time, after the fall of man, rest was meant as a sign of redemption. Redemption back to this eternal state of rest, where there would be no striving, where there would be no more laboring. Because in a fallen world of sin, God's people had to constantly labor just to make themselves acceptable to God. But God in his grace, he said, you know what? Let's do this. I'm gonna make rest a rhythm of life. 
you'll work, but you also need to rest. Then the fall happened and he said, okay, you messed up, but I'm gonna make rest a rule of life. That way you're forced to rest in my presence and know who I am, to see the redemptive story. Because I want you to have that experience that you once had. Why is he doing this? Because one day, one day, rest will be the reign of life. That's what he's showing through Jesus, the Messiah, that we would come back to this garden relationship, this garden experience with God. That the Bible says a time where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or striving or laboring because the old things, the old order of things have passed away. Rest in God is a promise of our redemption. It is a promise of our redemption. And Jesus continually pointed this out during his ministry, that Sabbath was a sign of him coming to redeem the world. He had some very provocative statements that he said. He told the people that he was what? The Lord of the Sabbath. Because he kept doing miracles on the Sabbath and you weren't supposed to do that. And then he tells them that, look, the Sabbath was meant to commemorate freedom, right? Shouldn't I heal these people and show them freedom? Because they can't heal themselves. My father in heaven is working. Me as his son, I'm working too. That's what he said to them, which was a big deal because what he just did is elevated himself to a place of authority likened to God, saying that I am the son of man and I am your rest. You hear that? I am your rest. In fact, when Jesus started his ministry, you know when it started? On the Sabbath. Luke 4, 18, 21. Jesus walks up into the temple and he opens the scroll of Isaiah. He's looking, do, 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 do. Oh, this is it right here. And he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release or freedom to the captives and recover sight to the blind and to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he shuts the scroll, walks off and then he says, oh yeah, and by the way, today this scripture has been fulfilled. What is he saying? What is he saying? First of all, the day of the Lord's favor is a call to the year of Jubilee, which is a time of rest, celebrating rest because everything is reset. Everything, guilt, shame, everything is reset. It's a time of celebration because God is resetting everything. And Jesus is saying, I am declaring the year of Jubilee because I am coming to reset everything. And through me, you will know rest. 
through me, you will be restored back to that relationship in the garden with eternal peace, eternal rest, and I will be your Sabbath. I will be your Sabbath. I'm coming to redeem you, to redeem the time, to make up for the time that we've lost in your refusal to rest. Just real quick, I wasn't gonna add this, but I think it's interesting. The children of Israel, they were in the promised land and they were in the promised land for about 800, 820 years before captivity. What's so interesting about that is, if you figure it up, they only practice the Sabbath year, which means every seven years you're supposed to let the land rest. They only practiced that for about half the time they were there. And it actually says that the length of their captivity will be how long they didn't obey God in that. <laughs> and so they're in captivity for about 70 years before they came back. It's a year to make up for every year that they stole from God. Isn't that wild? God is redeeming our time. And a beautiful picture of this is found in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is crucified and he, he says it's finished. He dies on the cross. They take him and they're quickly trying to bury him, get him in the tomb because it's about to be the Sabbath. There's a whole thing with why they still had Passover and all that stuff beforehand, but he is in the tomb during the Sabbath and all his followers would be practicing the Sabbath at home resting, just thinking about what just happened. <laughs> and yet the most beautiful picture happens there that in their rest, while they were resting, the God of creation is in the tomb fighting on their behalf, winning back the keys of death, hell, and the grave so that he could rise victorious, so that they could know him as Sabbath rest. While they are resting, God is working. And that's what God is speaking to us today. I wanna redeem you. And if you will rest in my presence, I will work for you. You don't have to keep striving. I will work for you. I will provide for you. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this, for you have been saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourself. It's not something you could do. That's why Jesus had to come and be our Passover lamb. That's why he had to die for us because we couldn't save ourselves. And when we rest in him, we remember it's nothing that I have done, but it's all you. It's not my works, but it's by your grace and my faith in your rest that I can stand and walk victorious in you. That's the God that we serve. This morning, if you'll stand. The thing is, is that a lot of us here this morning, we are weary, 
tired, we were exhausted. We were experiencing some of the things that we read about earlier. And we're just like, God, I'm done, man. I am done. I can't do this anymore. But isn't that the beauty of rest? That in rest, God shows us his faithfulness. That in rest, God reveals who he is to us. That in rest, God redeems us. And he says this, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm, I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus. That's who he is. That's what he's calling out to us today. Rest in me. There's no need for you to be weary. Now understand that faith doesn't get rid of fatigue. But faith gives us a place to sit. This morning, God is calling out to you. He's saying, look, I've seen you, man. You've been running. It's time to rest. It's time to rest. Don't, don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. Remember that the law of Moses said that if you did not practice the Sabbath, you would be killed. You'd be put to death. It's pretty serious. It's interesting how we live under grace. So the, that part of the law doesn't apply to us. However, the concept of if we don't rest, we will die is still a thing. In fact, in Japan and South Korea and China, they've had to make up new words to describe people literally working themselves to death. People in their 30s are dying on the job because they won't rest. The punishment is still the same. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm gonna ask two questions, and the first one I'm gonna ask, and I'd love for you to be honest so I know who we're praying for. No one's looking around, okay? If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't even know the last time I've rested, like really rested, not just went to sleep or took a nap, but rested where my soul felt refreshed. I'm constantly going, and honestly, I'm just weary and broken down. If that's you, can you raise your hand? Yeah. Hands all up across the building. Thank you so much for being honest. You can put your hands back down. Here in a moment, our prayer team, they're gonna come forward. And if you raised your hand, I dare you to come down here and get prayer. Because we wanna fight with you. We wanna stand beside you and pray for you and help guard and protect you. This morning, still with head bowed and eyes closed. If you're looking at this and you're like, 
that all sounds great, but I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't even know that I know who Jesus is. If this is your first time in church or the first time in a long time, you're just coming back and you're like, man, I've been out for so long that I am just weary. I'm tired, I'm exhausted. And today you want to know the Lord of rest, Jesus, our Sabbath rest. If you wanna know him today, we wanna pray for you. And no one's looking around, but could you just, for me, could you just slip up your hand so I know who we're praying for, that you wanna make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. Come on, come on, can we celebrate with them this morning? And for those of you at home, I'm so proud of you. Church, can we pray this together? Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn from my old life. I believe you stepped down from heaven to find me here, to pay the price of my sin and give me life so I can rest in you. I accept your love. I accept your grace. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Can we celebrate one more time for the people that said yes to Jesus today? I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. It takes work. Hebrews 4, if you have a chance, read it. It says that we are to strive, that we are to pursue the rest that is Jesus. It takes us really working. And I just wanna do this real quick. If Danny, if you could hand me this book. There are a lot of books out there that have practical ways to teach you how to rest. And this book right here, it's called Sabbath, A Gift of Time. This book right here is an amazing resource to have. It teaches you all about rest, all about Sabbath, what it looks like to do under the new covenant of Jesus. It even has recipes in here. I don't know why, but it does. It's great. So get this book. If you're like, I want to start resting. I want to start really taking this seriously. We are not required to practice Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, but I'm telling you that if you don't find a day of your week to rest and restore your soul, you will break. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.